Our world is marked by the great gender divergence. In India, Iran, and Egypt, most women remain in their homes, secluded and surveilled with very few friends. Chinese women work, but are locked out of politics. Latin America has undergone a radical transformation, with now near gender parity and political representation and massive rallies against male violence. Scandinavia still comes closest to a feminist utopia, but for most of history, Europe was far more patriarchal than matrilineal Southeast Asia and Southern Africa. What explains the great gender divergence? To answer this question, we need to go back 10,000 years. Welcome to Rocking Our Priors. I'm your host, Dr. Alice Evans. So after the Neolithic Revolution, two kinds of agricultural societies emerged. And I'm generalizing broadly here, right? In Eurasia, patrilineal communities transmitted land and herd to sons. In Southern Africa and Southeast Asia, horticultural societies tended to be matrilineal, tracing descent and property down the female line. In the former, female chastity was tightly policed, while in the latter, women moved more freely. Native Americans, meanwhile, were mostly bilateral and recognized the importance of women's contributions. Eurasia itself saw another important division several thousand years ago. The Middle East and South Asia grew even more endogamous through cousin marriage and caste. Meanwhile, Europe emerged from late antiquity with several latent advantages. Nuclear families and participatory assemblies. When families were trapped in agriculture, this variation in kinship did not make a huge difference. Men governed while women were pushed into arranged marriages, worked on family farms, and struggled to escape male violence. The great gender divergence really occurred in the 20th century. Sustained economic growth and technological innovations alleviated domestic drudgery and tightened markets for skilled labor. Thriving firms ran out of qualified men, so recruited women en masse. They gained status, autonomy, and much broader friendships. But this progress towards gender equality was contingent and varied with strong growth, weak kinship, and democratization. If prevailing wages were too low to compensate for the loss of honor, female seclusion persists, as in much of India, Iran, and Egypt. These effects are compounded by political trajectories. Only in democracies, so that is excluding China or Russia, could working women leverage their newfound friendships to campaign for gender parity in politics and protection from male violence. So, I want to give you some preliminary, preliminary explorations of the Neolithic Revolution, then tracing late antiquity to the early Middle Ages, looking at pre-colonial, matrilineal and bilateral societies, the Eurasian divergence, colonial Latin America, the death of matrilineal communism, feminist activism, and fraternal capital. I should add a caution. So I, this is, I'm writing a global history of gender. This is a work in progress. I still have much to learn. If you see an error, please correct me. The, the Neolithic Revolution. For 100,000 years, we were hunter-gatherers. Foragers sought to exploit female labor rather than seclude them. This was no feminist utopia. 
if recent studies of hunter-gatherers are any guide, girls may still have been forced into marriage, often polygonously, beaten and raped. The importance of women's labour was no surety of their autonomy. 10,000 years ago, communities started domesticating crops and animals. Early agriculture did not entail patriarchy. Patel Hayuk, 7,000 BC, was Neolithic, but late to domesticate cattle. It was neither socially stratified nor marked by strong gender divisions of labor. Women and men performed the same work, ate the same diet, and spent similar time outdoors. Bones and burials suggest little difference. Technological innovations then created subsequent opportunities for capital accumulation. Draft animals enabled higher crop yields and transportation. The plough diminished the importance of women's fieldwork. Cereal cultivation enabled a storable agricultural surplus. That hoardable, taxable surplus meant that armies could be fed and states could expand. Irrigated land became valuable. Parents bequeathed it to their sons, sometimes served by landless labourers. Over thousands of years, societies became more differentiated by wealth, technologically innovative, and politically centralized. Marriage was used to consolidate wealth and kinship. Long-distance travel became possible in the 4th millennium BCE thanks to widespread technological innovations. Yamnaya pastoral nomads from the steppe were especially proficient in taming horses, developing four-wheel carts, and using copper ore. This society was male-biased, stratified, and patrilineal. Black youth, so they were called, bands of unmarried men initiated with names of dogs and wolves, raided and settled in other communities. They slaughtered the men and reproduced with the women, leading to what we call the corded wear complex. Male ancestry from the steppe predominates in European and, to a lesser extent, South Asian DNA. Eurasia became patrilineal. Right. Now is leapfrog to late antiquity. Southern Mesopotamia is one of the oldest civilizations. Early Sumer, 4000 BC, what is now Iran, was not actually so patriarchal. Girls and boys were both trained to be striped. Women's names appeared on land deeds and rations as heads of households. Women ran their own businesses, such as taverns. Female deities had democratic input, and rape was punished. In mythology. But society appears to have become more patriarchal. Women were pushed out of citadels of life. Men dominated prestigious positions. Urukagaina, king of the Sumerian city of Lagash, 2400 BCE, decreed The woman who has sinned by saying something to a man which she should not have said it must have her teeth crushed with burnt bricks. Under the Code of Haru Ham Hammurabi, 1750 BCE, an adult wife would be tied to her lover, thrown in the river, and drowned. A man could divorce his wife without citing any reason. But if she wanted out, she had to go to courts. She could only take her dowry and her children if she demonstrated her innocence and his neglect. Otherwise, no. Wives at serious fault were 